1 Kings chapter 17 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And Elisha the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Kareth, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Kareth, that is before Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land." We're going to stop reading right there. Please leave your Bible open. We'll look at these verses together tonight. I'm going to give you the title. It's not going to make a lot of sense, but just give me a moment and maybe it will, all right? But I want to preach on this thought tonight, God's operating table. God's operating table. When God puts you on the operating table and, uh, and does some things in your heart and in your life, that's what we see in Elijah's life here and I want to prove it from this scripture right here. Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us and, and uh, give us some, uh, some understanding of His Word tonight and some grace so we can apply it and live it. Father, we come to You tonight, needy people. Lord, we need what's in this Word right here. And Lord, I pray that me as the preacher tonight, I wouldn't get in the way. Lord, of the people and the Word of God, Lord, they, uh, they need the Word. And Lord, help me just to make it easy, make it accessible, make it available. And uh, Father, I pray that you'd use me tonight, fill me with the Spirit of God. Lord, I pray that the lessons, the message, Lord, that you have for us from this text would be uh, so powerful that we uh, won't be able to soon forget it. Lord, make them uh, find a lodging place in our heart, Lord, that we would... Not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And uh, Lord, encourage us, Lord, from these scenes in the life of Elijah, I pray. And Father, I ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, in the midst of a nation uh, that was filled with uh, wicked idolatry, and that's some things that we looked at last time, Baal worship is popular, that is the going uh, that's the going fad. That's the, that's the mainline religion of Israel at this point. And uh, in the midst of this nation filled with idolatry, we find that one man stood up and shined as a light in the darkness. One man. And by the way, that's all it takes is just one. Oh, one person can make a difference. In fact, how much light does it take to make darkness go away? It just takes one little light. To shine in the darkness. And man, I, I want to be that for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to let my light so shine before men 
that they may see my good works and glorify my Father which is in heaven. He gets the glory, and we are living in dark days. We have an opportunity, don't we? I mean, like never before. You look around and say, man, it's awful here, it's awful there. And it is awful, but what an opportunity it is to shine a light in a dark day. And that's exactly what we looked at on last time with Elijah. He was a light in darkness. He feared no king but God alone. That's the kind of people it takes to make a difference, by the way. You're not going to, you can't, you can't, bow down to this culture and bow down to what they're doing and make a difference in this world. We found out they were all worshiping Baal, but Elijah comes on the scene and says, listen, as the Lord God liveth. He said, there's one God. It's Jehovah God. He's alive. It's not Baal. Amen. We're not going to pretend. And by the way, that's what everybody's doing. They're just pretending is all, all, all it is. And, and they know that we know. And they know we know they know. That it's all fake and it's all, all the kind of junk they're pushing these days. But at the end of the day, uh, we need some people that will just stand up and be grounded in reality. And the reality is there is one God and He has spoken and He's got a word and He's got a message and man, we need to stand up for the Lord in these days. And fear nobody but God. He said, before whom I stand. That's in verse number 1. He said, I may be standing in front of the king of Israel. He said, but really I'm standing before Jehovah God. That is who I am afraid of. Not you, Ahab. I ain't afraid of that, and I sure enough ain't afraid of Jezebel. At least not right here. He would be a little bit later. <laughs> hey, he's just human, right? All right. So are we. So are we. But I'm telling you something, man. We're not, not afraid. We're going to just serve God, be afraid, more afraid of him than we are anybody else. And he wasn't interested in being popular. He wasn't interested in fitting in. He wasn't going to uh, go along to get along. He was one man with a prayer life and a burden, and he changed the comfort level of an entire nation. He said, there's not going to be any rain three years. And man, the faucets of heaven shut off for three years. And you know how much that affects? That affects everything. It's economic dev devastation. That's total devastation is what that is when it happens. And we looked at all those things on last time. But here's what happens. I I'm interested in this, what's going on in the next scene in Elijah's life. You would think he stands before the king, steps off the pages of obscurity. We, don't, obscurity. we don't know his lineage. We don't know his background. We don't know anything really about him other than just a few little things here. And really that doesn't tell us a whole lot. But you would think that this occasion, this message, and the subsequent drought that was to follow, you think that would just be some kind of a launching point for Elijah's ministerial career. You think, man, Elijah, man, he just steps on a national platform and delivers this message to the king of Israel. This is just the launching point. This is just the start of this, some nationwide public ministry. Now, he's really, I mean, he's going to get a television show and he's going to start a big church and he's going to, you know, all kind of things going on. But that ain't what happens, is it? God comes to Elijah and he says, hey, I want you to go hide yourself. He's not paraded by God around the nation as some mighty man of God. He's hidden by God in the woods of obscurity by a brook called Cherith. I've always pronounced it Cherith, but I'm going by the little annunciation markers in my Cambridge Bible right here, and it says it's supposed to be pronounced Cherith, all right? So I may do both just to just go back and forth. Sometimes I like to be called Chris, and sometimes I like to be called Tris, so it just depends. <laughs> so I don't know what it is. Cambridge says it's careth. But my question as I read this, when you get to verse number 3, it says, there's God's word comes to him and he says, Get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook. Careth. 
Go hide yourself, Elijah. It's not time to start a national public ministry. These three years, I want you to go and hide yourself in obscurity. You come out of obscurity, now go back. You did exactly what I told you to do. Now go back and hide yourself. And I think the question must be asked tonight, why did God hide Elijah like this? Seemed like this would be a great time to parade Elijah, to to show Elijah, to reveal Elijah. Uh, to the nation, everybody's going to be looking for answers and they're going to be looking for things. These three years, things are going to get really, really bad. They're going to be needing a word from God. They're going to be needing something. But yet God said, no, Elijah, won't you go hide yourself from everybody? So why did God hide Elijah? Well, I think we come up with a couple reasons, just, just thinking through it logically. I think there was a, uh, there was a punishing purpose for Elijah being hidden. Not that God was punishing Elijah, but Elijah represented, as most prophets did, as, as the prophet of God did, Elijah represented the Word of God. He was, the, he was the ambassador for God. He was God's representative. And so when God put Elijah right nose to nose with Ahab and said, here is what's going to happen. There will be not any dew, not any rain. Uh, it's going to be dryness for three years. And then God removed Elijah and took Elijah away from the presence of Ahab. What God was saying to Ahab is, I have told you everything I have to say to you right now. I don't have anything else to say to you. And it was judgment on Israel. In fact, lack of the Word of God, lack of true prophets of God, that has always been God's judgment on a nation. When God wants to judge a nation, He will start removing true men of God that preach the Word of God. He will start removing the Word of God. The Word of God is a blessing on a nation. When the Word of God is removed or watered down or perverted or whatever, and God allows that to go on, that is God's judgment. And God will allow false prophets to arise and say things that God said when God never said those things. That's God's judgment. If you want to know what Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer and all that crowd is, that's God's judgment on America is what it is. That is God giving America what we want. We want somebody to tickle our ears and tell us everything is all right. Peace, peace when there is no peace. And everything's all right when everything's not all right. That's God's judgment on nations. God was judging Israel. Not just with the drought, but with the drought, a famine of the Word of God. So he removed Elijah. That was removing the Word of God. It was a punishing purpose. It was a protecting purpose. You know, Elijah, he's become enemy number one, right, of the Ahab and Jezebel administration. He is the object of hatred of Jezebel. Jezebel's already killed all the prophets of God, so she thought, and killed a lot of the prophets of God. And uh, Elijah was just another prophet in her estimation. And he, if she could have her way, of course, she would take care of Elijah. And so God hid Elijah so that he might protect him from danger. I think that's an obvious point. It's a punishing purpose, a protecting purpose. There's a providing purpose. You see, all of Israel would be suffering a drought in all its effects. And you know what God was doing? God was taking care of His man. God was taking care of His preacher. God was giving them food and giving them bread, uh, giving them uh, meat and giving them bread and giving them water and all those things. God had to hide Elijah somewhere so God could take care of him while everybody else was enduring the judgment of God. It was a, and this is what I really want to focus on here, it was a preparing purpose. Elijah was hidden by God at Kareth. Why? To be prepared by God for his future ministry. You see, before Elijah would ever be used to stand on Mount Carmel, 
call fire down from heaven and show God to the whole world. God wanted to make sure Elijah knew who God was before Elijah could go and tell everybody else who God was. In fact, that's the way this thing works. God has to prove himself to you before you're able to prove God to everybody else. you got to be thoroughly convinced that God is God and God is who he said he was. And so God will hide you. God will tuck you away. God will put you somewhere in obscurity so he can show you who he is. I'm interested in that. I'm interested in that, that name of the brook that he's at. It's the name Kareth. It's very... Interesting that that word, it simply means a cutting is what it means. It means to cut on or to cut things away, to cut things out. That's what careth means. Probably has something to do with the way that brook was. It was probably cut. It just seemed like a cutaway off of the Jordan River there. It's probably what it was. That's what it means. It means a cutting. It means a separation. And, and I can't help but think how that is exactly what God was doing with Elijah at Kareth. God brought Elijah out here in the wilderness, out here away from everything, out here secluded, separated in obscurity where, where he was around nobody but God and nothing, nobody to listen to, no voices but God, no, no influence but God on his life. And so that God could do a work on his man, a work on his servant and cut away the things out of his life that would hinder him from being an effective servant. That's exactly what God was doing with Elijah before. Elijah could stand on Carmel and call fire down from heaven and show God to the world. Elijah had to spend some time laying on God's operating table and have some things cut out of his life. That's what God's doing at Kareth, this cutting away, this separating. That's what Kareth means. God was cutting some things out of Elijah's life. And that's how God deals with all of his servants. God did that way with Job. Job knew he was being tried and he said, and when I'm tried I shall come forth as gold. God's got to get some things out of my life. God had to get some Job out of Job. There was too much Job in Job. God did that with Moses. Before he ever led the nation of Israel out of Egypt's bondage, God had them 40 years on the backside of a desert somewhere learning how to lead a flock through a wilderness so that later he could lead a flock through a wilderness. God had to knock the Moses out of Moses before God could use him. That's how God does Listen, if, if, if you want to be used by God, if you have any desire at all to be used by God in any way, you've got to know that God's got to have to, He's going to have to do some cutting on you first. And it's not fun. It's not pleasant. But it's productive. And it produces something that God can use in our life. We all want to be these great servants, but we want to avoid the great suffering, and it just doesn't work that way. A.W. Tozer said this, he said, It's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. That's exactly right. That's why some that you, most, most people, this message isn't for everybody tonight. I understand that. But most people, they're going to take a path of just least resistance. Go with the crowd. Don't try to ruffle any feathers. Don't try to do anything. And God will never do anything great with their life necessarily because they, 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 they shy away from and they refuse to submit themselves to God's procedures. There are some things that just hurt. 
There's some, there's some loves, there's some affections, there are things in our heart that are just in there, but they're going to hinder us down the road, and we got to lay on God's operating table, and He's got to get them out. It's not fun. That's why Brother Johnny's at the hospital right now. Brother Johnny had cancer in his stomach. They found some. You know what they had to do? They had to take it out. They had to get it out. And that's what, man, he's spending days in the hospital, recovery time, and all a rough recovery. Why would, they, why would they hurt him like that? Well, because what was inside of him would have hurt him a lot worse. He'll never be able to live and do anything that he wants to do until they open him up and get those things out. And so it was worth the trouble. It was worth the pain because it was going to help him down the road. That's what every procedure is about. Doctors don't just cut on people for the fun of it. I hope not anyway. I hope they're not just doing it for the insurance money. (laughs) I hope it's because it's going to hurt them if they don't. So God will lead us rough places. God will lead us through rough patches, to rough things. He'll put us on His table and slice us open and cut things out of us that we don't want to go. But the thing is, it's going to hurt us. It's going to hinder us down the road from doing what God has for us if we don't submit ourselves. And it's amazing how Elijah submitted himself. God said go and he went. God said do this and he did it. It's amazing to me how Elijah just obeyed the Word of God. In fact, if I could give you three words to to do when God is calling you to this time. That is just to obey and that is to stay and that is to pray. And if you will do those those things right there, if you will just obey God and then stay where God has put you until He has moved you somewhere else and if you will pray that God would have His will and His way in your life. Listen, God can do some things with you. Amen. What was God cutting out of Elijah's life? I see three things God was cutting out of Elijah's life. I'm going to show it to you and then I'm done. Number one, God was cutting out of Elijah's life, first of all, the need for attention. The need for attention. You know, a lot of people have that need. They've got to be seen. They've got to be heard. They've got to be in the spotlight. Elijah's first mission was a public showdown, right? He stood nose to nose with the king of Israel and his wicked uh, partner Jezebel, and his first thing is very public, right in front of right in front of royalty, right in front of the entire nation. He's known. He's a he's a household name. He's immediately thrust into the spotlight of the entire nation. Everybody knows about the man Elijah. He's the one that said it's not going to rain. Elijah looked at him later on and said, "There you are. You're the one that's troubling Israel. It's your fault. We're in this mess right here." Everybody knew who Elijah was. But can I tell you something about the platform? Can I tell you something about the the spotlight? Can I tell you something about the public view? It It can have a devastating effect on somebody's life. It can have a seductive effect. People that get a taste of it before they have some real walk with God they, they, and before they can handle it, they usually end up shipwrecked. They usually end up with their life uh, all messed up and their life a mess because the temptation is to have this platform ministry, this public ministry where we focus everything on what people can see and we don't ever put the emphasis where it ought to be and that is on the private life of what God can see and a lot Elijah had to make sure that he had this private walk with God before he could have a public ministry in front of the whole world. And we live in a day where it's all about 
What people see, we live in a social media day where it's all about an image and it's all about what people see. You don't even know who's real and who's not. Because people can put on social media and it may look like one of their, they're one of the greatest Christians in all the world. And they may not be that way in reality. And everything and all the emphasis of life, it's all put on reputation. It's all about what people think about you and what people say you are rather than on real character, what God knows that you are. You ought to be more concerned about the person God knows you are than the the reputation that you have and the the person people think that you are. So that was the problem with the Pharisees. Their, their service had turned into a Pharisaical service. They gave. They gave a lot of money. But they did it so they could be seen. Their, all, all of their, their whole spiritual life was superficial and it was shallow and it was all about what was out in the showcase. They didn't have nothing in the storehouse. They gave a lot of money and they even fasted and they prayed a lot. But they did it to be seen of men, Jesus said. They did it all to be seen of men. What a sad situation that is when your whole life is about the platform and about the spotlight and there ain't nothing real about you at all. Amen. God was proving Elijah. He was testing Elijah. Okay, he can... He he can obey the command to stand up in front of everybody, but can he obey the command to hide himself? Can he, he, he can be faithful when everybody's watching, but can Elijah be faithful when nobody's looking? Can Elijah be faithful when nobody's watching him but God? Who are you when nobody's looking? I would dare say that that's who you are. You are who you are when nobody's watching. Who are you in the dark? Who are you in the hidden places? God was proving Elijah to see if he was a man that would stay faithful in obscurity. You see, because when that private life is not there, it, it, is the, it is the root system. It is the base. You can't have a spiritual life that goes up high but doesn't go out wide and go down deep. And some people are a mile high and a mile wide, but they're an inch deep. And I'm going to tell you what happens to that crowd right there. They fall over every time. One little gust of wind and they fall over. Because they've built everything on the outside, on the top side, where everybody can see it. But they don't have anything real on the inside. Nothing real below the surface. What nobody, I would dare say that what is below the surface, it's much more important than what's above the surface. That's the part that God sees. You see people that, man, their life's on the rock. Preachers and ministries and churches and families and all kind of things. Life's on the rock, on the rocks. And I'll tell you what, listen, every, every failure is a prayer failure. It starts, it starts in that secret place long before it ever shows up in the public place. Amen. People start missing in the secret place long before they start missing at the meeting place. Amen. We think, oh man, somebody's out, somebody's out of church. They're not being faithful to church. Something must be going on. No, something's been going on for a long time because the secret place dries up long before the meeting place ever does. 
You can stand up in front of everybody and show you are. But listen, God knows who we are and God will put us in a place where we're not getting any attention because if you can only serve God when people are watching you, when you're getting applause and you're getting accolades and it's actually serving you in some way and puffing up your ego and doing something for you, if you can only serve God when people are watching you, can I let you on something? You're not really serving God. You're serving yourself. That's exactly how those Pharisees were. It was all about the public show. It was all about the public square. It was all about the showcase. It was all about it was showtime religion is what that was. And it was all in front of what everybody could see. And it had nothing to do with God. They were praying, but they weren't praying to God. They were fasting, but they weren't fasting unto God. They were giving, but they certainly weren't giving to God. They were doing it all to puff up their ego and puff up their reputation in the sight of everybody else. That's why the only one that really impressed God at the treasury impressed Jesus was that little widow woman with two mites. Why? Because she was given from her heart. It was she didn't have that money. She's given because she loved God from the heart. Everybody else is doing it for the show. God has to. Sometimes He'll put you in a place where nobody knows who you are. Nobody's watching you. Listen, it's amazing to me how uh, you know something. Some people, their spirituality is just only as, only as long as they are getting attention and accolades and stuff. Man, it better be before God. It better be real. What, I, what we are in private better match what we are in public. It better. In fact, we ought, we ought not even think of our life separated like that. It ought to just be life. Just be real. Be real. If you need attention to serve God, then you're not serving God. And God, especially, I think it's more so for preachers than everybody. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a hazardous, there's a, there's a dangerous hazard of the pulpit that is, it's just public can't help. That's the way God designed it. I mean, it's just that, that's the way it is. A preacher gets up in front of people, but there's a, there's a, there's a part of it that is very dangerous because some guys have gotten so good, they know what to say, they know how to preach, they know how to do everything. They can even stir up a crowd. They can even build a church. They can do all kind of stuff, but all kind of wickedness going on in their lives. And the only thing keeping them doing anything spiritual at all is they got to have attention. Somebody watching them. Somebody put, patting them on the back. Elijah was going to be a real man of God. He is a real man of God. He's gonna, in fact, he's not even really called a man of God until later. Did you know that? He's not even called a man of God until later. God had to take him by the brook. God had to take him to the barrel. God had to take him to the boy. And then that's where he's called a man of God. God was making a man of God is what he was doing. And he was ripping at him, putting him on that table, cutting him open. He said, Elijah, you don't need people watching you. You you, got to get rid of this addiction to attention, this addiction to platform life that that may develop in your life because it's just one of the hazards of being a man of God. You got to be able to serve me when nobody's looking. You got to be able to be faithful when nobody's watching. And that's why God put him in a private place. Not only was God cutting out of him the need for attention, but secondly, God was cutting out of him the need for answers. The need for answers. I want you to notice how God leads Elijah in this chapter, in this whole chapter, really, and we're not looking at the entire chapter tonight, but notice how God leads Elijah. It's step by step. Elijah, I want you to go to the brook. And then it's Elijah, I want you to go down to Zarephath. There's a widow woman that's going to feed you here. 
And then chapter 18, Elijah, all right, now I want you to go. It's been three years. I want you to stand in front of Ahab. I want you to tell him what's going on. All right, Eli- and then step by step by step, God leads his dear children along. God doesn't come to Elijah with this big long master plan rolled out all at one time. Elijah simply obeys God on a step-by-step basis. Elijah, you don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to know everything that's going on. You don't need to know everything I'm doing. In fact, for three years, Elijah did not know exactly what the future held. He went to Kareth, and then he went to Zarephath, and then he waited on further instructions, and that is how the will of God operates. God is not going to throw out this big, long master plan in front of you with turn-by-turn directions of from point A all the way to point B. No, God shines a little bit of light on your path and you obey and you operate in the light that you're given and then He gives you a little bit more and then you obey that and you operate in the light He has given and then you you take another step and another step and He lights our path really just one step at a time. And I'm thankful He does. Because I'm going to tell you, if God laid out the whole thing in front of you, it would scare you to death. You'd be so paralyzed you wouldn't take any steps. Because God may have some really tough stuff for us in the future. He may, he may have some really bad news for some of y'all coming this week. I don't know. I don't know what the next doctor's visit will hold for me. I don't know what the next phone call will be. I don't know what it's going to be. But here's the thing. God puts us in these places and He just shows us step by step so we will trust Him so we don't have to have all the answers. And so we learn not to depend on plans. We learn to depend on Him. See, God don't want us following a plan. If He rolled out a plan, we would trust in the plan. We'd say, well, here's the plan, and we would either follow God based on whether we approved of the plan or not. That's not how God operates. He wants you trusting Him and loving Him and serving Him because of Him. And doesn't matter what the plan is. You're not following a plan. You're following a person. That's how God wants us. Dependent on Him, not looking at some sheet of paper. With everything written down on it. See, it comes down to you either trust God or you don't. It's not about trusting a plan. Because if God's going to say, here's what, here, here's what I want to do with your life, here, here's all the things, and we can look at it and say, nah, either you like it or you don't. Listen, you don't have that kind of authority. You submit to a person. His name is God. And you follow Him. He's in charge. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. That's all i got to do. I have one job, and that's to follow wherever He goes. Just to follow him. Here comes God and he comes to Elijah and he gives him the word of the Lord come to him. And here's what he said, verse 3 and 4. Get thee hence, turn thee eastward, hide thyself by the brook, careth that is before Jordan it shall be. Thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Okay, now I don't know how this conversation went, but God sure did get through a lot of things before Elijah ever said anything. In fact, I don't find him saying anything. Now I am wondering, this is just me personally, I'm wondering if I would have been able to listen to that without interrupting just a little bit. Because I got some questions about this. Anybody else thinking about some questions? All right, I want you to go eastward. All right, going eastward and brook care. All right, hold on, hold on, whoa, hold on. Uh, how far is that from here? Uh, how, how long am I going to have to stay there? And then, and then he talks about drinking on the brook. Okay, I can handle that. And then he said, I've commanded ravens. I'm like, whoa, 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 time out. Ravens? Like the football team? 
No, like birds, Elijah. Like, like birds, like the real... you talking about like birds. Ravens? Ravens are unclean birds. They're the kind you're not supposed to touch them. You're not supposed to have anything to do with them at all, right? Ravens, you're talking about the kind that like almost act like vultures and they eat up everything. That's what's going to bring me food? You know, how, you know how weird this whole thing is? God is using birds that He said are unclean. And He's using animals that it's against their very nature to share food. They will peck your eye out to get their part of the carcass. They ain't going to share food. They're not going to bring every day, bring, twice a day, bringing food and dropping it down. Bread and meat. I mean, this, can you imagine these birds coming down and they got Bojangle bags in their mouth? And they're dropping them down. That is against their very nature. It's not how things... I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I would have some questions. That's all I'm saying. Really? Ravens? And of course, I would want to know, and God never says... I, the, the main question I would have, this is not what he... He never told Elijah, what are they bringing? I said, hold on, God. You know my, my special condition I got. You know, I got a selective palate. I, I don't just like anything, you know. Uh, you know, I don't want any vegetables and I don't, you know, those kind of things. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a little picky, you know. I, I don't just eat anything. So what, what's on the menu? What do they bring? Elijah never asked that. It's amazing how God told him all this stuff. And verse 5 just says, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. What are they going to feed me? I want to know, where did they get it? Like, are they the only ones that have been touching it or somebody else been, been messing with it? Where's this stuff coming from? What time's it coming every day? Man, I got questions. But God will put us in some places sometimes just so he can remove that kind of junk out of our lives. Because we have this inside of us. We want all the answers all at once. That's not how God works. I just said, you just trust me. I'm going to take care of you. You just get where I tell you. In fact, he said, I want you to go there. That's where the, I've commanded those ravens to feed you there. That's where they're going. If you're not there, you ain't going to get no food. Because that's where they're going. They have, I have put one place in their internal GPS. That's where they're headed. They're going there. Circle that word, there. That's where they're going. If you ain't there, you're going to starve, Elijah. <laughs> you better get right there. And God told Elijah everything he needed to know. Faith is following God even when you don't have all the answers. So we want explanations. God, why? Where? How? What? God ain't interested in giving us all those things. He's interested in just one thing. It's a who, and it's him. And you just trust him. God told you, if the word of God, told, listen, if God told you to go there, if the word of God puts you there, he'll take care of you while you're there. Period. End of story. And it may not be everything that you want it to be, but that's where God's going to take care of you right there. The grace of God will keep you wherever the will of God may take you. And that's exactly how this thing operates. So he learned, because that's, I mean, that, that's the most unlikely of sources that you would ever get anything, any, any kind of food. He learned to depend on God. Obviously, that was a God thing, right? That was just God showing him, this is me 
taking care of you. That's why I use the ravens. It's the most absurd. Nobody would have ever thought of that. This is a only God can do this kind of thing. And so God was teaching Elijah, you just trust me. You just trust me. You don't need a platform. You don't need a playbook. You don't need all the answers. You don't need all that attention. I'm going to leave you out. I'm going to hide you somewhere until your need for all those things have been suffocated. They've been cut out, cut away, separated from your heart and your life. The need for attention has been cut out of his life. The need for answers is being cut out of his life. And then lastly, the need for abundance is being cut out of his life. You see, because this meal plan, and this is the way God does all of his meal plans. It's on a day-to-day basis. That's how he did the children of Israel, right? And the man in the wilderness, you just get what you need for a day. That's it. Don't take, don't take more. If you do, it'll, it'll, it'll rot. It'll be nasty. It'll smell. You just take, you get what you need. When Jesus prayed, he said, give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread. Give us what we need day by day, this bread. God takes care of us on a daily basis. You get what you need for today. Don't worry. The God that took care of you yesterday, He will take care of you today. You don't need a lot. You don't need a storehouse. These ravens aren't going to give... They're not, they're not going to bring you a, a, a refrigerator full of food. They're not going to bring you a pantry full of food. They're going to give you one meal for the morning, one meal for the evening, and you got to trust me that the raven's going to come back and feed you again the next day. Elijah, you don't have to have a lot to be satisfied. You don't have to have an abundance to be calm and trusting in my plan. And then this brook, oh, the ravens, but then this brook started drying up, didn't it? Verse number 7. After a while, the brook dried up. Now, that brook dried up. Dried up it, didn't, it, it says after a while. It didn't just dry. It didn't just go out there and it was, everything was gone. You know how a brook dries up? Everything I've read about this brook, Kareth, people are saying it's, a, it's, it's rushing. It's like rapids almost, rushing water. This thing, thing, can you imagine as he's there day by day and he's watching it just shrink? This brook, this is the only water that he has. Now, why is it shrinking? Well, because there's, there's a drought, right? It's the prayer he prayed. Elijah, this is what you prayed for. <laughs> Congratulations. This is what you wanted. Here it is. And that brook, every day, it just dries up just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And I don't know about you, but when it starts getting down to a certain point, I'm thinking, I need to go find some water. I'm going to die. But he never leaves. He's just as satisfied with the rushing rapids as he is with a trickling stream. And the brook eventually just dried up. He stayed until the brook just dried up. And I I want you to notice something. Elijah didn't leave when the brook dried up. I know you think, well, the brook dried up, so he had to leave. No, Elijah didn't leave when the brook dried up. Elijah left when the word of the Lord came to him in verse number 7, or verse number 8 and verse number 9. Elijah stayed right there by a dry brook until God gave him further instructions. You know why? Because Elijah didn't need abundance. He didn't need, you know, it's kind of like Paul when he said, you know what, I've learned to be a base, and I've learned to abound. I've learned to 
suffer need. I, I, I can be broke. I can have money. I can do it all. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can trust God. I know, I know how to do it all. And that is what God was working on in Elijah's life. Elijah, can you stay there when it all dries up? Why does God allow things to dry up? Why does God allow? And there's things that dry up. Sometimes things dry up. Sometimes there's seasons of dry times. And Why does God allow things to dry up? It's so we are not putting our faith and depending upon the gift, but we are depending upon the giver, the one who provides. Elijah's faith was not in the brook. Elijah's faith was in the God who told him to go live by that brook. He's cutting out our need. But anyway, when things get down to just trickling just a little bit, we get a little worried, don't we? How many of y'all get a little upset when you know the money starts getting a little low? You know, instead of start saying, well, hey, you know, good to have you home. How was your day? You know, talking to your spouse. How many of y'all, when the money's getting a little low, y'all are saying, <laughs> I saw a Chick-fil-A bag in your car. What are you doing going out here? We're eating pork and beans tonight, you know. What are you doing? I'm not saying it's ever happened at our house. We don't eat pork and beans. When everything's going good, you know, but when things start drying up just a little bit, Seen at church, there's dry seasons at church. There's tough times at church. People start getting sideways. Well, this and well, that. You know, listen. Just because things get dry, that don't mean you leave. You wait till the word of God tells you. You wait till God tells you to leave. Pastors will do that sometimes. Things will get a little. T- and they, they're just gonna pack up and go get, go buy another. You know, go to another brook somewhere. Just because something dries up, I don't mean it's time to go. You wait on God. You wait on the Word of God. You wait on Him to... You know why? Because we're not trusting in things. I thank God for what this church does for my family and being good to my family. But listen, it, I, 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 am, I, I try to remind myself of this, and I have to be reminded that, listen, it's not this church that's taking care of me. God was taking care of me long before you knew who I was, before I knew who you were. It's God. And, 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 and I don't plan on going anywhere, but after I leave, God's going to take care of me and my family. God's going to take care of you. That's right. Say, well, you know, it's, it's the, the preacher. He's the, you know, he's the one that, man, if the preacher left our church, would just, no, 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 no. God's taking care of this church long before I ever came. God's taking care of this church if I ever leave. It's God. We, we're not supposed to do it. And sometimes God will let things just, the bottom drop out and everything go, go to pot. Why? So we can realize it's God that's sustaining us. Sometimes we don't realize God's all we need until it's all we have. God let them things happen sometimes. So God let Elijah be sustained by a brook that was dwindling so he could trust in God. But we, we start worrying about things and we get anxious. And our Father, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, We don't have to worry about stuff like that. He'll take care. He clothes the lilies of the field, He feeds all the birds of the air, He'll take care of us. I read this a while back. It says, said the robin to the sparrow. Have you all ever heard that? The robin to the sparrow. I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Birds watching us, they don't ever worry about anything. God takes care of them. 
They watch us wring our hands and fret. Think, man, if this job ever, if this job ever dried up, I wouldn't have anything. Fully on that, God's taking care of you. Thank God for a good job. Thank God for what you have, but that's not what's sustaining you. God's taking care of you. So, well, I got strength, and I got no. God's giving that to you. You're not even taking care of yourself. God is doing it. So sometimes he's got to let the health go. He's got to let the job dry up. He's got to let things, just so you'll remember and recognize it ain't the stuff, it's him. It's him. So God hid Elijah, the brook careth, to cut these things out of his life. Elijah, you don't need attention. You don't need answers. You don't need abundance. You just need me. I will take care of you.